1: Good morning, beautiful people. The sun is shining, and so are you. Welcome back to the Health in Harlem podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. A lot's changed in the past few months due to COVID, but I'm happy to say that some things haven't changed one bit. We're back, and we're ready to empower you with all the medical and scientific information to help promote your health and well-being. Even more importantly... We're back to answering your questions and enabling you to become a better advocate for your own health, the health of your loved ones, and the greater community. And speaking of our family here at Health in Harlem, we have Michael Holmes in the building today and Dr. Maurice Selby. What up, guys? What's hello, good, man? Hello. How
0: What's are going you? On?
1: How you guys <laughs> been? What have you guys been up to since we were last together in the studio?
0: Uh, hustling, man. There's a lot of hustling going on. Um, in a good way, of course, ladies and gentlemen is, you know, multiple connotations of, uh, hustling and we are very much on the positive side of that. So we are talking about just getting things done with energetic activity. Um, but yeah, just made a move to Atlanta, um, at, uh, the Emory University School of Medicine in the Department Mm -hmm. of Emergency Medicine. So Mm -hmm. big change. Um, but still, you know, as we, We've all set out to do just carrying on the mission of health in Harlem. So that's really what I've been up to is just adjusting to Atlanta, um, which it is hot down here. Okay. And um, yeah, trying to catch up with you guys. So glad to see you, that you guys are back, man.
1: Speaking of uh, climbing up the medical ladder. Uh, so you went from being an undergrad to now Professor Selby, uh, all while being on the program. Yes, yeah, crazy. So uh, you got your white coat. Now you're putting people in white coats. Yes. Um, oh, that's, dope. that's awesome, man. Yeah, so speaking of which, we have a white coat ceremony to congratulate uh, soon-to-be Dr. Holmes on.
2: Yes Congratulations, sir. brother. Yes, sir. Thank you, thank you. I recently got my <laughs> Bachelor's of Science onwards to the CUNY School of Medicine. That's what's, so, uh, that's what's up.
0: Big things. Big things. That's awesome. And Giorgio, awesome. what's good with you, man?
1: Nothing much, man. Just been uh, teaching from uh, the green screen studio that uh, we're using to record here um it's been an interesting uh kind of shift going to an online distance based uh teaching compared to like seeing feeling all the energy of the students being able to read their faces see like getting that feedback yeah exactly versus now we see gray boxes as uh teachers Uh um and then i've (laughs) actually found out from from friends of students in my class that my students would be on the beach just like randomly, yeah. <laughs> <It's>
0: terrible, <laughs> just like listening
1: in. So it's you like, know, you know, guilty a- of that.
0: I'm
2: guilty of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we're all guilty i've been on zoom meetings where i'm like just yeah. literally chilling <laughs> yep. people have everybody's screen is blacked out like you said the right. like gray screens and lord knows what they're doing but the funny thing is people too. like i don't know everybody's like really good at multitasking i guess because yeah. i know they're doing something else at the same time yeah, yeah. but then they'll chime in on the conversation like oh, okay yeah that like people are engaged they're, like actually yeah you know, listening I mean- and getting stuff done
1: Exactly. I mean, I don't blame them. I would, uh, I would probably be guilty of it too. Enjoying the sun outside, you know, the <laughs> summer. Summer comes once, once a year here in New York, and you know, it's True been. A, it was a rough winter, so uh, I totally get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's been an interesting time, and uh, since we're talking about all this uh, summer related stuff, and uh, sun yes. shining right now, I'm breaking a little sweat. Uh, it seems like it's fitting that we start talking about heat-related illnesses today. Be- bring it right in and uh, tell you guys how you could be safe when you're on that Zoom meeting in the middle
2: of the beach. Oh, smooth transition.
0: And the, and the heat starts to <laughs> creep up on you So, hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty. And that, uh, ladies and, and gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> we, can't, we can't really afford the royalties that come with uh, playing the Love in Spoonfuls. 1966 hit, but um, yes, that is uh, our little our little sound clip. But who needs royalty when we have you, Mo? I mean, like, <laughs> thank you very much. Man. No, I try, I try, I try.
1: It's time for healing. All right, let's, <laughs> all right, let's get back into it. So we're talking about heat related illnesses, and uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but it was uh, it was tough to imagine the sun actually causing us to get sick. That this this kind of heat would be excessive. Uh, but I guess just like water, too much of anything that's good uh, can can be bad thing as well. Uh Third story. So I guess that kind of suggests that there's a balance that we need to strike and that our body is trying to maintain that balance or homeostasis. And if we push it out of balance, uh, it'll try and compensate originally uh, or uh, at the beginning. But then after that compensation is... Uh, no longer able to, to bring you back to balance, you're too far mm-hmm. gone, that's when we can have an, a heat-related illness or emergency start to arise. And this is on a spectrum. It's something that, uh, that you know, there are levels to this. And, yes, uh, and, and as you increase in the uh, intensity of the imbalance, you have an increase in the intensity or the severity of the uh, illness. Yes, so, indeed. So it is a And I'm spectrum. glad
0: you used that word, man, like illness, right? This is an, this is an illness. Right. Um, it is an environmental-induced uh, illness. And we're going to get into that talking about exactly what you said, is that when we've reached that point where our bodies cannot maintain um, our body temperature and we start to go from maybe heat cramps through heat exhaustion, heat stroke, um, but also we're going to talk about, things that might make you more susceptible to developing that illness. So we're going to talk about some risk factors uh, for developing these illnesses. And finally, we're going to give you some strategies and tips to prevent it altogether. I mean, uh, in this era of COVID and just with all the stuff going on and, you know, a lot weighing on our consciousness as we go forward, um, we want to be positive on this program. So that's the thing that we want to say from the outset is that, guess what? you know, it's going to be great to not only be aware of these illnesses, but we're going to give you the tools to nip it in the bud and prevent it entirely. So that's the good news. That's right. (laughs) Right? It's hot as hot as heck out there, but we'll be able to um, hopefully avoid um, all of this stuff.
1: So Mo, what's the, what is the temperature that our body wants to stay at? Is it a single temperature? Is it a
0: range? Um, it's a range. It's a range. And um, as Giorgio said, we're we're homeostatic beings, right? Um, we have or like to uh, remain home. And this is how I like to think of homeostasis, the word. Um, if we break it down, homeo, home, that's the way I look at it, right? Home is a comfortable, safe place, um, safe environment. And stasis is sort of static, right? Staying in, in a particular place. So we want to stay, our bodies want to stay home. And especially regarding our temperature, there is a temperature in which we're ideally able to carry out our metabolic functions and our activities um, safely and efficiently. And that temperature, right, and this is sort of uh, coming from sampling many, probably thousands, millions of people, I would say, uh, that temperature seems to be 98.6. Everybody's heard of it, 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees Celsius. Is sort of our home temperature that homeostatic body temperature right but w- uh, when we're and this when we're, we're
1: talking about that we're not saying that your body uh that the ambient temperature is 98.6 but that your body is maintaining that 98.6 or 37 degrees celsius so
0: and and a couple of degrees below right or higher right um so give or take a couple of degrees either way but exactly as you said is this this is our body temperature and the awesome thing is just I like to look at us as machines as far as how our bodies um regulate that body temperature. And it really starts from the top on down as far as how our body does that. Absolutely. And so Michael, you want to bring us into that? So Michael, he's at the at the heart of this, man, because he's uh in medical school doing his training right now. And so this is stuff that he's like talking about all the time.
2: <laughs> Bro. Yeah, yeah. So um I guess when it comes to uh, you know, regulating uh, your body temperature, regu- uh, homeostasis, as we've been talking about mostly, um, I guess we could think of it by starting at the top, right? So starting in your brain region, uh, there's a mm-hmm. portion of your brain called the hypothalamus. And I'd like to think of the hypo- hypothalamus as um, like a thermostat, you know, uh, like a thermostat you have in your home. It regulates mm-hmm. the temperature of your home, This uh, the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus works pretty much the same way. It regulates your body temperature through uh, a variety of things. So, it um it can it causes you to uh, it okay well it sends out hormones that affect your uh, sweat glands. Um, it also controls uh, the shivering of your muscles, and so okay. the the basis behind these two actions. So basically, you sweat when you are hot. Because your body wants to lose heat in that way. So, sweat uh, puts moisture on your skin. um, And the same way that a glass of water will evaporate in the sun or in a hot room. The water on your skin, that moisture, will absorb that heat and it will evaporate. So, that's one way our body loses heat.
0: Uh, And it's actually the most effective way, um, this evaporative evaporative, uh, heat loss. Mm -hmm.
2: Correct. Um, and when you're cold, on the other hand, uh, shivering, that causes your muscles to uh, move around, make them create some heat. And uh, so that, that's heat generation in a cold environment. So that's yeah. basically the, the function of your hypothalamus.
0: Um, and it's so cool, right? It's, it's actually, what's awesome about it is, it is it's this real complex interplay between our bodies and the external environment. And... Why I say that is uh, essentially, right, we're when we have that thermostat that is sort of keeping that body temperature um, in play. We have our hypothalamus doing that. And the awesome thing is that it's receiving input from thermoreceptors that we have located in our skin and spinal cord. Um, and that does exactly what Michael said, is that it allows us to regulate uh, those changes, right, altering our skin blood flow. Um, leading to things like cutaneous vasodilation. So literally opening up up the blood flow um, to these blood vessels in the skin so that we can release heat into the environment. Um, Something called radiation, right? So we're radiating heat off of our bodies into the environment. Um, Our blood pressure through baroreceptor reflexes um, can uh, adjust right, to allow us to do that Um, So dropping the blood pressure because of that vasodilation so that we can offload heat Um, during exercise. Right. We have these reflexes in our system that will lead to vasoconstriction um, and vasodilation in response to the heat that's being produced in the body. So that, again, we can um, either in the cold, as Michael said, we can hold on to heat by clamping down on those blood vessels. We can release it when it's hot outside uh, to release that heat. So a very complex interplay between the environment and receiving this information. Hey, it's hot outside. Right. We're going to start to sweat. Um, it's going to trigger us to engage in certain behaviors. Um, so, for instance, shaking shade. Right. You feel the hotness on your skin, the heat on your skin. The first thing you'll probably think is, like, yeah, I got to get out of the sun. I must get out of the sun. Um, I need to hydrate. Right. We have our thirst mechanisms. Uh, in place so that we can maintain good hydration so that we can um sweat and benefit from that evaporative heat loss um and so you know it's a very complex interplay between our bodies and the environment in order to to keep that um ideal body temperature range so mo what's the what's the harm
1: of having a high body temperature or hyperthermia, and is it any different than having a fever?
0: That's a great great question. And so the harm, right, is that, um, you know, while we do see increase in things like enzymatic or even metabolic activities um, with sort of small incremental increases in our blood pressure, in our um, body temperature, uh, there comes a point where our bodies cannot function um, adequately. Uh, And this can lead to metabolic dysregulation um, so those enzymatic enzymatic processes that carry on our metabolism that enable us to get energy from our food, um, those things can be hampered. We can also begin to see things like uh, organ dysfunction and even failure um, as the body temperature increases. And then ultimately, if the body temperature gets too high, uh, we begin to see um, this multi-system organ dysfunction lead to, uh, things like altered mental status, um, seizures and death. And, uh, I love how Giorgio opened up really talking about how this is sort of a spectrum of disease. And we talk about these heat related illnesses, because I think one thing that we see sort of, um, around us and in the media, and even in medicine, is we talk about these illnesses as discrete forms, right? Um, Whereas this is something that is kind of along a continuum and it can be difficult to distinguish which illness a person actually has. Um, But it's on a spectrum. And uh, we're going to talk about really how to recognize, you know, sort of the most dangerous form of this, which is heat stroke, because that is when we've reached that condition. Right. Not only where we can't compensate and keep that ideal body temperature, but we're in a danger zone where we begin to see that multi system uh organ dysfunction or organ failure and and a person is at risk of um serious disability and even mortality or death and so sorry, ladies and gentlemen to, to on that somber note right because it's this is something you know' it's, it's unfortunate um but uh it's it's something that we definitely need to get out there and with that said, we're gonna let you sort of digest that information. And we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with some more, um, some more heat-related illness information. Welcome back to Health in Harlem, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Maurice Selby. My name is Michael Holmes. And I'm Giorgio Malouf. And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem podcast. And today we're talking about heat-related illnesses. And when we left off, we were just talking about the amazing ability of the body to regulate its body temperature. And how, when we can't do that, we begin to uh, encounter problems. We mainly do this through these mechanisms of heat loss or heat transfer conduction in which there's contact between surfaces. So our bodies, the objects in the environment where we can have this energy transfer from a higher source or higher heat to a lower heat energy. Uh, We also have convection. So heat transfer through mediums such as fluids uh, or even air for that matter. So on a very hot day, high ambient temperature, Uh, In the air, that heat transfer can be transferred to our bodies and raise our body temperature. Finally, we have radiation. uh, And that's kind of what we alluded to at the outset of the program, talking about how our bodies dilate our blood vessels. And we have a lot of heat in our bodies in order to release that heat into the environment. So this literal radiation of heat in, in the environment. But that radiation can also happen Uh, from objects that are near us. So think of a radiator in a room, very hot, and you can literally feel the heat if you put your hand near it, uh, radiating off of that object. And finally, perhaps the most important mechanism of heat transfer is evaporation. And uh, this is essentially what we can think of as what we call an exothermic reaction, where literally by evaporating water, releasing heat, and that can actually cool our bodies. Correct, Michael? Michael?
2: That is indeed correct. I did want to go back to something I mentioned earlier regarding uh, the hormones that the hypothalamus was releasing. Um, So the main hormone involved in heat balance is the thyroid hormone. And so what the thyroid hormone does is it it tells your cells to increase their metabolic heat production. So the more thyroid hormone, the more heat you're producing. Um, And so in colder weather, your brain will uh, your hypothalamus will tell your body, "Hey, we're cold. Let's uh let's get some heat going," and so and thus your uh you'll release thyroid hormones and your cells will produce more heat. On the flip side, in hotter temperatures, uh your hypothalamus will tell your body to slow down on the thyroid hormone production, thus uh, not contributing to any heat production in your body. Well, a little bit, but not as much as it would. Um, it's a
0: complex interplay, right? We have this mm-hmm. this hypothalamus that is. Amongst uh, things like thyroid-stimulating hormone um, and, therefore, thyroid hormones a little bit further down in the pathway, um, these sort of metabolic changes um, that can help us either release or not produce heat, Um, but also things like our physical activity and, as we said, even the environment itself can really determine um, the amount of heat in our bodies or or even our body temperature.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Um, And and so what's important to note about this is that uh, we have different types of balances that your body is trying to make sure that it adheres to. So we have our heat balance, which we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. but that's also intimately tied to your uh, your fluid balance, your fluid electrolyte balance, as well as uh, your energy balance. So regulating your body temperature outside of this range of temperatures that it's most comfortable at is going to require an increase in activity from your body because it has to get your sweat glands to produce more sweat. It has to Mm -hmm. uh, redirect your blood flow. It has to have your thyroid produce less uh, of these uh, thyroid hormones that would increase your metabolic production. So you're increasing heat loss and you're decreasing heat buildup uh, at the same time to try and achieve the goal of reducing your body temperature. Uh, to bring it back to this range of uh, 37 degrees Celsius plus or minus uh, one degree. And so part of uh, what happens in the spectrum of heat-related illness is uh, going to be tied to the uh, compensatory mechanisms that we're just talking about. So Mm -hmm. the things that our body does to reduce the body heat Uh, may eventually interrupt other balances like your water balance or your energy balance and that's where the illness is going to start to arise anytime that we push our body outside of the range where it's able to correct itself and so what we need to do from a treatment standpoint and a prevention standpoint is make it so so prevention we want to prevent our body from reaching this extreme imbalance where it can't handle itself and from a treatment standpoint we just want to make sure that we replenish the, uh, the body with, uh, to be able to allow it to do the mechanisms that it normally does to uh, reduce body heat. So whenever you are producing all this sweat, Michael, what's going on? What's in this sweat?
2: Right. So we talked about sweat being a the main factor of our heat loss, but when you lose too much, uh, there's a lot of water loss too. Sweat is a composition of uh, a number of things, uh, mainly water, but there's also uh, uh, important such mi- as... minerals in mm-hmm. your body that you're releasing too with it, such as sodium, potassium, calcium, and magnesium. Uh, sodium being the mm-hmm. biggest one. And uh, Maurice, if you want to tell us more of what losing that can do to our bodies.
0: And so these things are essentially important in all of those metabolic functions um, that we've talked about up to this point. And so, as we said, uh, this evaporative heat loss, while it is our main compensatory mechanism that allows us to cool our bodies um, as our body temperature rises, right? We're also, as we're sort of doing that, we're losing vital components that allow us to carry out other metabolic functions, um, and even physical functions. Um, so those electrolytes, right, they're important in, um, certain cell signaling. They're important in, um, some of the reactions that take place that allow us to get food and, uh, energy from our food. And when we lose a, a good amount of either that fluid, right? So we lose the water, but we lose the electrolytes, Again, that really goes back to hamper our ability to regulate our body temperatures. And then we begin to cross that threshold, right? Once we've sort of maxed out, once we've, our body's really, you know, done everything it can to keep our body temperature under control. And these mechanisms um, are beginning to fail or reach their maximal limit. That's when we begin to sort of cross the threshold into these heat related illnesses, and that's when we begin to start to see the signs and symptoms of things like heat cramps. Um, we begin to see things in, in a, 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 a sort of a scaled up version, um, things like heat exhaustion, and then finally, as we said, uh, that you know, sort of worst case scenario with heat stroke.
1: Right. So with heat cramps, uh, it's characterized by heavy sweating. Uh, during intense exercise or in in intense environmental heat. Mm -hmm. And this usually ends up uh, not just making us look uh, sweaty and perhaps smell. Um, (laughs) We also have muscle pain and spasms, which is where the cramp part of the heat cramp comes in. And um, for most people, this is kind of your body's warning sign. Uh, Something's not right. Whenever you start to get pain... That's kind of like our alarm bell. And uh, what we're supposed to do at this point is replenish our body with the water and sodium uh, that we just lost by sweating. And so that's where sports drinks come in, like uh, something that rhymes with Aiderade. Um <laughs> we, We're not promoting any
0: products on this show.
1: Right. So, <laughs> but, but just in case uh, you wanted to know the difference between... The the drinks that say that they are uh, full of electrolytes, like versus uh, Mm -hmm. you know versus a
0: fruit drink, you know, a drink or a soft drink, which is a common thing. People go on to try to hydrate themselves with uh, uh, things that are not necessarily replenishing those those vital components that um, that Michael and Giorgio have have been talking about. Yep. So
1: at this point, uh, what you want to do is is replenish your body with that. Uh, fluid and electrolytes. And electrolytes is just basically a fancy word for saying uh, uh, salts that have been broken apart. And uh, because we have separation of the charges, they can conduct electricity or currents of electricity, which is why we call them electrolytes. And so what we're really talking about are the salts, not not necessarily the sugars that we want, because the sugars are actually going to make it so that you stimulate your thirst even more um, and can pull water with it. So, so right now we're talking about sports drinks and not just regular water that you want to replenish with, um, which is something that we see a lot where people are getting to the end of a marathon. They've had excessive um, uh, exercising and, and hmm. water loss, and then they try and rehydrate with just plain old water And for people like this who have sweat a lot, that regular water is not going to actually rehydrate them because uh, you need to have the same kind of salt water that you lost replenished. Or as
0: close Uh, as the balance, right, to what we've lost in our sweat, we want to kind of replace that with um, exactly what was taken out of our bodies. And so, um, you know, we call an isotonic solution or a solution that's, very similar to your your blood chemistries, if you will, um, which is which is also
1: why when you go to um, to to the ER, maybe you see Doctor Maurice Selby and uh, he wants to rehydrate you. He won't put you on on regular water. He might give you an IV bag of normal saline, which is a uh, isotonic solution that is going to have um, sodium in it, uh, sodium chloride to be more exact, and <laughs> at a concentration that is going to make it so that uh, it fits with the balance of your body, which is why it is used to rehydrate you. Correct. So at the same time as uh, us replenishing our water um, and and uh, electrolytes using sports drinks, let's say, um, you should also try and prevent yourself from losing uh, more of it and, and therefore... You should refrain from further physical activity for a while until you, the, the symptoms go away, uh, so until the cramps aren't there anyway, uh, anymore, and uh, try and move out of the uh, sun because, like we were saying before, we get a lot of that heat from the radiative waves of the sun. Uh, actually, Earth as a whole, that's one of the main ways that it heats up, as you can tell from the difference between summer and winter. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the sun just feels stronger. And, uh, so those solar radiative waves are what we need to try and prevent. And if you're working out inside, um, and you're next to something that is generating heat, get away from it. So you need to get to a cool place at this point. You need to rehydrate. And, uh, if all goes well, you know, the heat cramp will subside and you'll return back to this area of being balanced. Now, the only uh, note that I want to make about this is that uh, this doesn't apply to everyone. This is for mainly healthy people. For some groups of people, um, such as if you, have, if you have heart problems, you might want to be extra careful about this and uh, seek medical attention at an earlier stage, even if it's just heat cramps, uh, because you'd be particularly vulnerable. Um, similarly, if you're on a low sodium diet, you already have less of these salts. So when you're losing the water and salt, this is going to be a reason why, uh, you would be particularly vulnerable. And, uh, lastly, if the cramps are lasting longer than an hour, this is a reason to seek medical help rather than try and treat it on your own.
0: And as we said before, you know, this is, uh, you know, the, the heat cramps one, they're particularly uncomfortable. Um, and so you will know that you're having this complication, right? Um, and, and I'm glad that Giorgio really said that this is sort of an alarm bell to say that, Hey, something is out of whack, right? This is literally a manifestation of, uh, that blood chemistry potentially being thrown off. Um, and you having reached your maximum ability to compensate for, uh, this, uh, heat exposure. Um, and, some other things to look out for, and as we said, this is on a spectrum of disease, right, and it is very difficult to tell the difference between things like just heat cramps, heat exhaustion, in which you might experience some more symptoms, such as um, tiredness, right the The actual name of the illness kind of tells you what you'll be experiencing, so heat exhaustion those are the days where you just feel like, yo, I just can't move, I don't want to do anything, mm-hmm. you know it's so hot." Um, you might have some, uh, cramps associated with this as well. Some individuals report feeling nauseous. You might have headaches. Uh, there are individuals that have, in addition to the profuse sweating, right? Again, these compensatory mechanisms trying to cool your body, you might, uh, have things like palpitation. So your heart rate pumping very fast, trying to keep up, uh, with your body temperature and radiate off of the, off, off this heat to, in order to, Uh, reduce your body temperature. And then finally, we get into this heat stroke category. And as we said, it can be very difficult to distinguish amongst all three of these illnesses. But the one thing, if there's anything that you take away from today's show, as far as how we distinguish heat stroke uh, versus heat cramps and heat exhaustion, uh, this is a point where not only has the body reached it's maximum ability to compensate, but we're starting to see evidence of that organ dysfunction that we talked about. And the main organ that we see the dysfunction. in, when we talk about heat stroke is the brain, right? Um, and when we use that term stroke, we think about a stroke, we think about an interruption to the blood supply, to the region of the brain or a heart attack, which can manifest as weakness or a person having difficulty speaking, even visual complaints or visual loss. Is a little bit different in that essentially with the heat stroke, it's the entire brain that's becoming that's uh, affected. And it really manifests as a change in the patient's or the person's mental status, right? This is where an individual, in addition to having the, the lethargy and feeling out of it from heat exhaustion, the cramps, the nausea, this individual or an individual with heat stroke will be the person that is not responding to you appropriately. They're saying things that don't make sense. They are listless and laying there, not responding to the environment, right? So um, kind of like in a state where you can't wake them up, um, they might even have things like seizures. This is how we distinguish heat stroke from those other illnesses and that we see a change in mental status. So,
2: okay. yeah, And I'd say it's important uh, before that, you know, as, we, as, we, as you discussed, uh, the d- differentiation between heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Is mm-hmm. mostly a, uh, a neurological effect uh, yes. taking place during heat stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we can get there with heat exhaustion, there's a, you know, I think it's important to, you know, relay a couple of things you can do to prevent them from getting to that place, you know. As and, we- we're, yeah. and we're going to get into that
0: as we, as we take a break. Welcome back to the one and only Health in Harlem podcast. My name is Dr. Maurice Selby. My name is Michael Holmes. And I'm Giorgio Malouf. And today we're talking about heat related illness on this episode. And we left off talking about heat stroke. Essentially a heat stroke is a point where our body has maximized its ability to regulate the body temperature. And now we have an individual that has an elevated body temperature typically we see this in excess of 104 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're talking about, right, almost a six degree difference uh, from our normal body temperature. And we see that in conjunction with a change in the patient's mental status. Right. And uh, during the break, actually, ladies and gentlemen, we were just having a discussion. Right. It's such a complex disease. And as we said, this is on a spectrum of illness ranging from these heat cramps to heat exhaustion, ultimately to heat stroke, which is the most dangerous form of this illness. And it could be difficult to tell the difference, right? What if we had an individual that just lost consciousness or fainted? Um, I would count that as a heat stroke until proven otherwise, you know, even if the person wakes up and they're talking to you, um, that person might be, if not at that heat stroke level, they might be well on their way and they probably require an evaluation. So The thing is, it's even difficult for us to tell uh, the difference in the emergency department. But that is a person that if they are very hot, right, and um, not making sense to you or passing out, that person probably requires um, or I would say definitely requires further evaluation in in an emergency medical setting.
1: So, Mo, um, I just had a question for the situations where you're waiting for emergency help. To come. And, and I could think of something, an experience that I had. Um, so I was at a, a, a church event outdoors, um, sitting in the sun for three hours uh, plus on in the middle of the summer in a hot day. And mm-hmm. uh, this was actually before I was an EMT. Um, I had just learned first aid uh, to become a certified first up. responder. And uh, <laughs> back when I was very green, now I'm just slightly green. Um, so there was a a gentleman there who ended up passing out and, uh, skin was a little bit paler, um, wasn't, so they were responsive when they, they gained, regained consciousness, but there was a period where, uh, you know, for less than a minute where they lost consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, they had a syncope attack as, as we call it. And, um, once they were on the floor, um, and we started to cool them down. We we got ice packs from the first aid kit. We put them um, mm-hmm. under the armpits. We put some ice packs under uh, in the groin area where there isn't as much of that muscle tissue to, uh, um, I guess, uh, shield the blood vessels under. And you have some case, very large, yeah, blood vessels that run there. Yep, so, femoral arteries and veins. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to to cool down that blood, which would then cool down the body. Um, so applied those. We called for for emergency help. But we were in the middle of uh, New Jersey. And it it basically took an hour and a half for EMS to get there. And uh, I was the only one there until then. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I was just wondering in a situation like that, other than the ice packs, do you have any recommendations for what to do? I had people coming up to me and trying to offer soda and uh and And sugary drinks, drinks and stuff, and things like that, thinking you know that that would help uh, i 'm surprised no one came at me with vapor rub
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> which it could you know if it was hy- you know a hypoglycemic episode, and that 's the thing we consider other causes for a person that uh lost consciousness or passed out or had any change in their mental status um but what you guys did probably saved that person 's life because. One thing that we has been uh, consistently shown uh, in the literature is that the earlier we start to act on that body temperature. Right. So the minute that somebody recognizes this is a heat stroke or a potential heat stroke, just like with an individual with uh, in a, what we call an ischemic stroke or a brain attack. Right. The time is of the essence. And uh, in this sense, reducing that body temperature the quickly, the quicker we can do that, um, the the better the patient's outcome, the better the person will do. So what you guys did, applying those ice packs to the the axillary, so under the armpits, applying them to the groin, and you have these very large blood vessels um, that can cool the blood and therefore lead to that, as you said, that that, uh, improvement in the body temperature. Another thing that you can do is, uh, you know, wet that person. So get a spray bottle or just throw water on that person and start to fan them. So we take advantage of exactly what we talked about before, those evaporative cooling uh, mechanisms. Those things can uh, be very, very effective in getting that body temperature um, under better control. And essentially, you'll start the work that we need to do in the ER. Um, I would say that that person still needs to go uh, to the emergency department. Um, But definitely, uh, those are things you can do in um actually Michael, thank you very much for the key on that because you mentioned hey, getting the clothing off of that person, right? Um, exposing their skin so they can radiate that heat off of their bodies. And uh probably number one what you want to do even um uh before throwing the ice packs on them is just to get them in an environment. You said you said you, were, you guys were out in the sun. So getting that person into a tent or some indoor quarters where there's air conditioning or at least where they're not being exposed to direct sunlight, um, those things can be very, very effective in getting that person out of trouble. Um, and then ultimately, as you did perfectly, um, call a 911 and getting that person to an emergency department or medical facility as quickly as possible.
2: So as we, we brought up earlier about how you know keeping hydrated um, especially when you're sweating and it's a hot day can, uh, mm-hmm. will help you out. So what if I were to be chilling on a beach and let's say I wanted to hydrate with some, some fire water, would you advise I do that?
0: What's fire water? That's a brand, right? <laughs> oh,
2: no. <that's, laughs> I've heard of it. I sorry. Think. That's, that's, that's code name for, for alcohol.
0: Oh, yo, I'm so lame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I just realized Michael,
1: uh, so, you're making me yeah. feel old, Michael. I had oh, idea. no idea.
0: <laughs> so, and you know what? There are uh, risk factors. One thing, actually, before we move on to these, these things that can make you more susceptible to heat-related illness, um, I just want to make a distinction because there are different types of heat stroke. And one common misconception was that, hey, you know, this person was sweating. Um, you know, it's, it's not a heat stroke because the person was was sweating. And one of the classic signs that we are taught in medicine, um, and even from a public health standpoint, as far as educating the public about these illnesses, one thing that's commonly uh, mentioned is that, oh, you know, uh, a person that's sweating is less likely to have heat stroke. And um, unfortunately, there are different types of heat stroke. There is exertional heat stroke, and there is non-exertional heat stroke. Now, we see these in different populations in exertional heat stroke. These are the weekend warriors that are out there running, right? It's 95 degrees outside. It is super humid outside and they're still going at it. Um, And so these individuals um, can suffer heat stroke and not only can they suffer heat stroke, but they can carry out these compensatory mechanisms that we talked about well beyond what we see in other populations. So, A classic example of this, and it's a really unfortunate case, was um, the case of Corey Stringer. He was an NFL uh, lineman, offensive lineman, played for the Minnesota Vikings. He was actually a a very good lineman. He was an all-star, played in the Pro Bowl, um, had helped get his team to the NFC Championship the year prior. And um, in light of that, uh, they were training to get back at that championship competitive level. Right. So they started their training camps. And from day one, they were going hard, um, ran went right out the gates with these multiple practices a day. Um, during this particular practice, uh, Mr. Stringer and his teammates, they, they actually had been kept on the field a little bit longer for an extra session. Um, and from it was reported, it was a very, very hot day. Um Mr. Stringer, at one point during the the tail end of the practice, endorsed that he wasn't feeling too well and um, had, you know, at one point collapsed down on the field. His teammates came. Everybody helped him to his feet. And he was saying he was still awake at that point and said, hey, you know, I feel okay. I'm I'm, I'm just, you know, not feeling um, too great, but I'm okay." And they let him be. And at one point um, he began to, you know, sort of stagger. And as he was making his way to the locker room, was stumbling and got into the locker room area and ultimately collapsed. Um, You know, it was a hot day and he was sweating. He was engaged in in those activities. Um, But when they got him to the hospital and unfortunately at the time of his passing, he had a a recorded body temperature of 108 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, And from that time that he had collapsed in the locker room, he had never regained consciousness. And so this is right. An NFL lineman has the best Uh, training probably the best medical staff he is presumably a healthy individual to compete at this level and uh, he suffered a heat stroke and uh, you know essentially this is a classic um, case of what we call exertional heat stroke because he carried on those compensatory mechanisms including the sweating but the one thing that we said as we said before that we see in every case of this is that altered mental status so the person that's collapsing in front of you the person that's stumbling around, um, the person that has a seizure or with anything that looks like a seizure, a person that has a high body temperature with any of those symptoms has a heat stroke until proven otherwise. That person needs to be cooled, as we discussed earlier, right? Throwing those heat packs in those important areas, the axilla or the armpits, the groin over their forehead, removing their clothing, getting them to a cooler environment as quickly as, and as safely as possible. Um, just really quick as far as non-exertional heat stroke. So this is the one where we see the classic person that has a very high body temperature, usually in excess of 104 degrees Fahrenheit. And these are the individuals that are not sweating, right? So they have that super high body temperature. They might not be sweating, um, but they one thing that they will have as well is the altered mental status. So they'll have the high body temperature, the altered mental status, or not acting like themselves, answering qu- questions inappropriately. Um, I've seen people that are combative and fighting against you. They're agitated. They could be having seizures. This is a heat stroke, um, non-exertional, uh, and this is something that we see in very special populations. So the elderly. Classic. They might not sweat at all. They might be as dry as a bone, but still have this very high uh, body temperature to the point where you put your hand near their skin, you can even feel the heat radiating uh, off of them. Um, And so um, that is something that we really need to just be mindful of. And also, um, individuals that are um, maybe using certain medications or with certain illnesses, they might not manifest um, with that sweaty presentation. Um, So sweat, it does not make you diagnose heat stroke. That's all we got to say. That's the biggest thing to take away. High body temperature and a person that has altered mental status or some neurologic dysfunction. That's a heat stroke until proven otherwise. Um, So with that said, I guess we can get into the risk factors, right? What is sort of the setup for all of this? Now, with any disease, we have risk factors, and this is potentially helpful because it could help us predict when an individual might be at increased risk of having these complications. And one way in which we can classify this is extrinsic risk factors. So taking the ambient temperature, and aside from looking at the weather itself, the temperature itself, one thing that helps us gauge this ambient temperature is the heat index. The heat index is a measure of how hot it really feels when relative humidity is factored in with the actual air temperature. And to find the heat index, what we do is look at an index chart, which uh, is available at www.weather.gov. You can plot any given temperature and the respective relative humidity, and it'll give you sort of a predicted ambient temperature or what it actually feels like outside based on this uh, relative humidity. And so, for example, at 80 degrees with a humidity of 70%, it would actually feel more like 84 degrees. Now, if we increase that temperature to, let's say, 90 degrees within 80% humidity, that would actually feel more like 113 degrees Fahrenheit for the ambient temperature outside. Um, And also, as we said earlier in the show, Um, This could compromise our sweating mechanism as far as decreasing our temperature. Uh, If we cannot have evaporation of our sweat because of the increased humidity in the environment, then we're at an increased risk of having heat-related illness just because our bodies cannot effectively cool off as they normally would be able to. Now, some other risk factors to consider individuals with chronic health problems. So these are the individuals with cardiovascular disease. These are individuals with things like diabetes, um, also breathing problems such as asthma, which can be exacerbated when it is very, very hot outside. Uh, Other populations that we really need to be concerned about are the very old and the very young. So elderly individuals Uh, Just the same as young individuals might not be able to uh, adapt behaviorally, right? A young toddler or infant can't remove themselves from a place with high ambient temperatures. A elderly patient with dementia might not be able to remove themselves from an environment with high ambient temperatures. Finally, other risk factors include substance use. So we talked about the fire water on the beach. <laughs> Definitely not a good idea uh, because it reduces your body's ability to compensate in extreme temperatures. And also drugs such as methamphetamines, cocaine, other substances such as ecstasy, mollies. These things can increase your body temperature and also affect your ability to modify your behavior or get out of those temperatures. And that, too, can set you up for a possible heat-related illness. Um, so we have a number of risk factors and things we need to think about in advance that uh, might, you know, allow us to avoid these illnesses altogether. So we really got to think about these things uh, each and every day, especially at this time of year. Paying attention to the weather report knowing our bodies as far as uh, illnesses that we might have medications that we might be on that could compromise our ability to compensate. So people on blood pressure medications like beta blockers or calcium channel blockers, people that are on diuretics, which force them to uh, lose a lot of their water volume um, by peeing, right? These individuals are at increased risk of suffering heat related illnesses. And we're going to take our final break, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Health in Harlem. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
1: Welcome back ladies and gentlemen. It's heating up here on the Health and Harlem podcast and we're trying to get you guys to stay cool as we t- <laughs> as we go through the heat stroke guys. I've been practicing this right before uh, we came back from break. If you so uh tell. yeah, so let me and know if you like the though. dad <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. If you like the the corny dad jokes just let me know. Um I'll keep making some more. I'm sure Reed Vero will uh, supply us with uh, <laughs> oh, yes. an abundant spread of uh, dad jokes whenever he, he's on a, the next show, probably. Yes. Um, but welcome back. My name is Giorgio. My name this is Michael. Maurice. We got Michael Holmes and Dr. Maurice <laughs> Selby in the house. They're both very excited uh, to be back. And um, we, were, we just kind of went through the whole spectrum of heat-related illnesses. Um, we discussed how your body is completely capable of dealing with these heat changes uh, normally, but that there are times where uh, the stress becomes overwhelming, the thermal stress. And um, that point where it becomes overwhelming is going to vary from person to person, uh, just like everything else in life. I mean, uh, we have populations that are able to handle more stress uh, who are healthier um, who uh, usually, you know, the young, healthier people are able to, to deal with an overwhelming amount of stress. But then mm-hmm. um, infants, uh, elderly, people under, uh, who are using substances may not be able to have that same kind of response. And so those people are particularly vulnerable. Um, and so we're, we're trying to discuss how we could keep everyone safe. Uh, as they enjoy the the great outdoors this summer and And how we could prevent these issues because yeah and indoors Um, and and we're trying to discuss how we can prevent these issues from happening now that we understand what the issues are Uh, I think it should be a lot a lot more uh, intuitive to kind of go through uh, these prevention tips so Mo, what's one way that we could uh, prevent ourselves from progressing down the spectrum from being at a normal, comfortable temperature to starting to have heat cramps?
0: So essentially, um, it's really just being aware of your environment. I think is probably number one, right? So starting at the top of the day, or whenever you get the chance, looking at the the weather report, or watching it on television, or or you know finding it online or on your phone. And in particular, try to find out what the heat index is, right? Look at that humidity, how warm it's going to be, and therefore sort of what the um, temperature will ultimately feel like based on that heat index. Um, Because that'll tell you whether or not there's a a higher ambient temperature out there and whether, you know, everyone is at an increased risk of having um, one of these heat-related illnesses. So just being aware of your environment making sure that uh, at home you have a way to modify your, your climate in the house. So whether it's through air conditioning, fans, um, just ways in which you can cool your, your home down, especially when we have those, those days where the heat and humidity are higher. Mm-hmm.
2: And for the days that the heat and humidity is high, but you still have to go to work and travel and go do about your daily things, uh, a couple of things you can do for yourself uh, You know, wear light, loose fitted clothing, uh, light colored clothing. Actually, um, it reflects more uh, heat from your body as opposed to wearing dark colors like black that absorbs a lot of heat. It can mm-hmm. heat you up. So light, loose fitted clothing can help keep you cool. Um, just be aware that when you're going into your car, uh, you know, if your car is sitting out there for a while, you know, that could heat up basically an oven. I'm sure a lot of you have experienced burning yourself with the seatbelt that sort of thing. Um so there are um those car covers, right, that you could put over your to reflect uh, window chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: those silver things to to reflect mm-hmm. that that light energy which mm-hmm. uh, if absorbed becomes heat energy. And yeah. so uh yeah, when you reflect it you're you're preventing the heat up uh, mm-hmm. as much as possible, which means that you're keeping cooler because Yeah. Uh, preventing buildup of heat is the same thing as cooling down in the same way that you could make a dollar or save a dollar and you'd <laughs> still end up with a dollar more. Exactly.
0: And so, also um, with those, uh, with the skin being exposed, you know, we'll talk about uh, sort of heat related illness as it pertains to skin manifestations at a later time. Um, but wearing sunscreen um, as you will have probably more sun exposed areas And also stay away from cotton-like fabrics or anything that's going to trap a lot of moisture. Um, We want things that can wick moisture away from the body so we can actually take advantage of that evaporative uh, heat loss. And that is going to be some of the synthetic fibers that we see out there. So a lot of the sports um, clothing, um, that'll be able to help wick that moisture away and keep you cooler.
2: Yeah, and thankfully athleisure is a pretty trendy fashion topic right now. So
0: True story. <laughs> I'm sorry, what is that? I get accused of that. Athleisure. What is it? It's like uh oh, it's like Georgia, fancy sweatpants old. and <laughs> and stuff and uh like athletic clothing that people wear yeah, okay Not okay. when they're working out but like to brunch yeah. and stuff. You know they have like But it's like fashionable suits. and is is fashionable and um amenable to being able to be used for like athletic stuff too. Mm-hmm. So it's like a whole line of clothing that's funny at the leisure. <laughs>
1: that's awesome. So, so as far as
0: more tips.
1: Yeah. So we, we you said that we have to uh, uh, wear loose fitting clothing uh, mm-hmm. that's lightweight and light color colored. Uh, we also want to make sure that we plan our at- outdoor activity around the, uh, the weather. Um, and so whenever you, so not only do you want to kind of uh, be careful about which days we have a heat wave or heat advisory for, but uh, also generally speaking, there are times of the day, especially during the summer, where the sun is going to be stronger than the rest of the day. Um, so if you are one of uh, the people who fall into uh, these vulnerable categories, um, I would I would definitely recommend that you... Uh, Try and limit your sun exposure uh, between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., which is when uh, the sun is at its kind of peak strength for the day. So if you are going to, if you were one of those weekend warriors, um, you know, this is probably not the best time to uh, to have your long run in the middle of the summer when it's 95 degrees out, um, but You know, if you can make it so that it's earlier on or later on in the day, you might uh, have a more enjoyable experience and put your body on on, under less stress as a result.
0: Yes, indeed. And for uh, those individuals that are uh, elderly, right, um, being mindful of well, not not just those individuals themselves, but their family members, you know, sort of checking in on them, making sure that the home is adequately cooled and that they are safe. And also um, individuals with things like dementia, for instance, making sure that they are maintaining their fluid hydration and, again, that they are in a safe and uh, cool environment. And one thing that we really need to take advantage of if you are unable to uh, cool your home or you don't have air conditioning, the air conditioner broke or no fan or anything like that, uh, just remember to check for your local cooling centers. And, you know, New York City is amazing with that um, in summers past where when we had these days where there were heat advisories in effect um, it was very, very available, usually local schools, but other community centers that are designated cooling centers, even Kings County hospital actually is a um, designated cooling center. So if you're having trouble at home or you cannot sort of um, be in a cool, safe environment, always check the, the local municipality website, so that you can find the nearest cooling center uh, for you.
1: And then worst worst case scenario, if you have uh, uh, a shower that you could use, a cold shower could definitely help or bath. Mm -hmm. um, And that should alleviate uh, a lot of the issues that uh, you might be uh, starting to experience. And uh, lastly, we have uh, the last tip is to uh, protect your skin using sunscreen, which like most said, we have another show planned for just that. Uh, it is important enough of a topic and enough people in, in America and around the world uh, deal with um, cancers related to uh, sun exposure. Um, we are going to discuss that um, separately. But mm-hmm. please remember that uh, you should be using uh, sunscreen that is broad spectrum. And uh, you should be applying it pretty regularly. And even if it is water resistant, doesn't make it towel resistant. Doesn't make it <laughs> so that uh, you can only have to apply it once for the day. You should be applying it uh, regularly throughout the day. And it should be an SPF or sun protection factor of 30 or greater to, to really uh, get the most benefit.
0: All right. And so that rounds out our program, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning into Health in Harlem. And uh, we just ask one thing and one thing only always on this program is that you share whatever you've learned with someone um, around you, whether it's a loved one, coworker, worker friend, um, get on a soapbox. We would love that, actually. And that's pretty much it. And, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. I want to thank my colleagues for joining me uh, to get this done. Very important work that we're doing and uh, just, I'm always amazed at the commitment of you guys. And also, shout out to the rest of our team: uh, Reed, Ashley, Anastasia, uh, DJ. Just, yeah. such a big, big squad, man. Alex, Family. Zach Worley, yes. Benjamin Zach, Tufari, yes. Yes. and shout yeah, out to but- WHCR 90.3 FM. And we will be uploading this episode to be broadcasted. So be on the lookout for that, and that'll be air at uh, 7 p.m. So thank you all. And uh, with uh, what we always say, always, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas. Harlem, take care of yourself.